Till Death Do Us Part is a satirical true crime podcast hosted by a dysfunctional married couple who discuss other dysfunctional relationships. If you can't handle that, don't go away mad, just go away. Hello, and welcome to the 62nd episode of Till Death Do Us Part. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. I'm kind of nervous. We haven't recorded it. It feels like in forever, but it's only been a couple weeks. See, that's that's what happens. You step away from something. It's like riding a bike, I guess. Yeah, I don't even know if I could ride a bike. That would be funny. (laughs) That would be funny. I think you'd be just fine. Well, welcome to our show, our humble little show. And 62. If you are a new listener, good to have you. Thank you very much. Yes. If you don't enjoy banter, we are probably not the show for you. We try to keep it to a minimum, but hell, we're married and we do talk to each other occasionally. And so this is our talking to each other outlet a little bit. (laughs) Remember, instead of doing golf or tennis, we decided to start a podcast. Right. So welcome. Hope you enjoy us. If you don't, turn us off. And there's a million other podcasts out there for you to take a listen to. Amen, sister. Yeah. Not that you'd be my sister. That'd be so weird. Oh, don't. Keep it in the family. I do. So we're just going to jump right into all this because we don't want to waste a lot of time. So I'm going to talk about (laughs) origins of sayings that we say pretty regularly in in society and life and such forthwith. Okay. Love it. So I'm going to start with this one. It's really fascinating. I didn't know any of this. So I kind of, I want to put in a little bit of detail, but it's interesting. So it's about um, drinking the Kool-Aid. Oh, I know you probably already know, but I honestly, yeah, I honestly didn't know this, where it came from. Okay. We generally consider this as someone who, you know, completely pledges themselves to a cause or function or something like that, or someone. And, and basically without any consideration of the ramifications of that pledge is kind of what we consider it. Right. Yes. Um, So the phrase originated from the Jonestown massacre in 1978. Oh, that's a that's a crazy case. It is. I was reading about it. I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. So it was the largest single incident of intentional civilian death recorded in American history before 9-11, mm-hmm. which is pretty horrible. So the cult leader and preacher, Jim Jones, started the Disciples of Christ. See, I don't, this pisses me off. Everything's, <laughs> oh, you know, wrap yourselves in the Bible right. and this and that in, in of Christ anyway. So that was in 1954 when he started that and originated in Indiana. And then before he moved his temple to lovely California, he was known for displays of activism, healing, um, and he pushed for communal living, which is always turns out well. (laughs) Doesn't it though? There were people that left and when they left, they reported cases of abuse and Mm -hmm. He was basically a crazy controlling personality, which most cult leader people tend to be. Yes. Um, and wore sunglasses. 
I saw 24 that. hours a day, yeah. seven days a week, yeah. which you give me crap for. But he did it as a way of being superior. But you don't have a cult, so you're allowed to wear sunglasses. Not yet. He ultimately went and searched for a new location because he was getting a lot of bad press, mm-hmm. believe it or not. They moved to an isolated area in Guyana, which is um, in lovely South America in the jungle. Approximately 900 people made up Jonestown at its peak. Jones' paranoia and drug use was increasing <laughs> and getting he was getting more unhinged. Um, a lot of the Temple family members back in the U.S. started obviously getting really concerned and kind of freaking out. So then in the California senator, Leo Ryan, yes. traveled to Guyana with some of his administration and a camera crew for like a fact-finding mission is kind of how they printed Um, While he was there, he declared that he couldn't really find anything wrong with the commune, although a number of the members did voice that they wanted to come back with him. They were like, we're done with this place. We Mm -hmm. want to go back with you. Please save us. Yeah. And there were kids. Oh, yeah. A number of kids. There were lots of kids. Yeah, Mm -hmm. a lot of kids. So when they returned to the plane to take off, Jones kind of freaked out and he ordered his security force to execute the group. They ended up killing five, including the senator, and wounded 11 others before they could take off. So right after this, um, Jones decided and announced that they must all make the ultimate sacrifice. So in order to do that, they decided they mixed cyanide with flavor aid, which is originally what it was called. It was not Kool-Aid. But we say Kool-Aid, but it was actually the real name was flavor aid. I believe they changed the name because of this. I believe so. Mm -hmm. And it was grape, grape flavored. Oh, okay. That makes sense. That's my favorite. (laughs) I don't know how I know that. (laughs) Maybe that's why everyone drinks it. I don't know. So they drank it. Um, When law enforcement ultimately returned, they found over 900 dead from poisoning. And then the piece of crap Jones, this is how, you know, like he wants other people to do things, but he won't do it himself. He ultimately shot himself in the head because he probably didn't want to suffer and take a chance drinking cyanide flavor aid so it's like you guys drink that i'm gonna shoot myself in the head he is a horrible Um, piece of crap so yeah it was children you know everyone yeah babies oh yeah so that is the origin of drinking the kool-aid all right here we go riding shotgun Everyone says that, right? Yeah, I call shotgun. 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 (laughs) My brother and I would get in wicked fights about shotgun. (laughs) I already called it. called it yesterday. You can't change it. Uh, Riding passenger seat, of course, riding shotgun. However, um, it actually started in the 1800s. It referred to a shotgun passenger. That was a passenger who rode along in like stage coaches or trains that were carrying important shipments. They would often be armed oh. with a sawed-off shotgun in case thieves tried to steal the cargo, and they would have to shoot if needed. Okay. So that's I riding did not shotgun. Know that. See, yeah. I, did, I didn't either. That's awesome. <laughs> so if you're the passenger. You're holding the gun. Yeah. In that case, this is horrible. Um, going postal. I mean, we all kind of know where it came from. It's oh. self-explanatory. Yeah. So that originated from a series of murders across the U.S. by multiple current and former employees of the United States Postal Service who mostly targeted fellow workers and managers at the USPS and committed 
mass murder. These murders took place between 1970 and 1997 in multiple states across the country. I guess... uh, I didn't realize it was so hard to be... A postal worker. A postal worker. And I think people didn't realize that until all of these shootings started happening and just really what was going on behind the scenes. I think because it was very specific Mm -hmm. and it was by postal workers on other postal workers and managers. So it it was kind of... Obviously very targeted. Yeah. So like, huh, I wonder what's going on here. Mm-hmm. So don't piss off your nice male lady no. that comes by. Leave them cookies, give yes. them a present or something for Christmas. Although they're not Take targeting- Take care of your people. Yeah, they're not targeting customers. No, it was workplace incidents. So but I can't imagine what the You still need to say thank you to people who do something for you every single day. Yep. God bless you. Yes. You sneezed, starting during the Roman plague of 500 circus 590. Oh, wait, you're saying God bless you. I am. You. I'm rolling it right into oh, a new one. Oh, I get it. Okay, the term, here we go. The God, term God bless you. God bless you. Okay, I thought you were saying God bless you to the postal workers. I was just rolling for okay, one thing Okay, so it was another. like, you know, double fisting. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, go. So God Bless You started during the Roman plague of 590. It became more frequent to say God Bless You to those who sneezed because it was an early sign that they might have the plague. The plague, the plague. Um, So there you go. Some cultures actually consider sneezing to be good luck. So I guess it could also be a positive saying. All right. But there you go. That's where God Bless You came from, following a sneeze. Okay. Blockbuster movies. Do you know where that term came from? Yeah, from Blockbuster Video. Negative. (gasps) Oh, Oh, my gosh. You are so smart when it comes to movies. I'm glad I found something you don't know. Okay. Yeah, which now means a very successful movie, film. Typically, it stays in the theaters a long time, right? So the original term blockbuster came from aerial bombs used in World War II that were named because they could bust an entire block. The term began to be used to describe popular films beginning in the 40s, which, of course, was World War II. Wow. So it was just a big, like, explosion. You know, like, oh, my gosh, this movie's like a blockbuster. It's a It exploded into the theaters. And at the time, of course, circus, you know, 40s with World War II, that was a common term, like these blockbuster bombs. So then they said, oh, my gosh, this is a blockbuster movie. Good to know. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, we'll leave it at that. Well, thank you, Daniel. That was very, very informative. Hello. Would you like to drink cocktails and talk about poison? Or drink poison and talk about cocktails? Then welcome to The Poisoner's Cabinet, a weekly podcast mixing true crime, historic mysteries, a dash of comedy, and lots of lovely libations for your listening pleasure. Join us for a drink as we tell the story of a different deadly poisoner each week. We always start by whipping up a cocktail inspired by the tale that we tell. Ooh, sounds delicious. Ooh, so maybe an amaretto sour for a cyanide poisoning? Long Island iced tea for the teacup poisoner. Chicken for William Palmer? What? Nothing. Join Nick and Sinead every Friday inside the Poisoner's Cabinet as we look at vicious Victorians, inheritance powders, and crimes of poisonous passion. Follow us at the Poisoner's Cabinet on social media. Subscribe and share on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, your loved ones are trying to kill you. 
Daniel. Yes, Melissa. You ready for my case? Yes. All right. This is the case of Scott and Karen Waltz Roston. Cool. Around 3 a.m. on Saturday, February 13th, 1988, a distraught looking man ran into the ping pong room located on the ninth deck of the Sundance Cruises Star Dancer ship. Okay, there's a ping pong room on a cruise ship. This is the 80s. This is the 80s. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ping pong was very popular. It was. I remember that. I remember my grandparents having a ping pong table. We had a ping pong table too in the 80s. Moving cruise ship, you can't really have a very accurate ping pong game. Not ideal for accurate ping pong. Not, especially if there's a heavy wind and it's it's outside. Yeah. It's actually really funny to watch people play ping pong on a cruise ship. It is. Anyways. So this man ran into the ping pong room shouting that his wife had been blown overboard by a gust of strong winds. Sure. The man was 36-year-old newlywed Scott Roston, and he had blood and scratch marks on his face. Oh, boy. The ship's captain was notified, and the search began for Scott's wife of only nine days, 26-year-old Karen Waltz. When Scott calmed down, he told the ship's captain that he and his new bride had gone up to the jogging track around midnight. The track was located on the top deck, which is usually deck 11. Okay. Well, they wanted to get some air. I mean, they're newlyweds and all you got to take a breather every once in a while. Yeah. Can't be in your room the entire time. Well. Just saying. Karen wanted to do some speed walking. Of course she did. As they were finishing up their old lady mall walk, a huge gust of wind blew five foot, three inch Karen over a four foot railing and into the ocean. But according to the captain, the winds never got above five miles per hour and the seas were quite Calm. That sounds like an awesome cruise. (laughs) Nothing over five miles an hour? Shoot. That was pretty good. When questioned, Scott changed his story. Scott said that after a while, he had stopped to rest, but Karen continued her walk. Scott heard Karen scream, Scott, help, help, help. He ran to where he had heard the screaming and looked over the railing. He saw Karen holding on for dear life. He reached down to help her, hitting his face on a metal gangway control box in the process. (laughs) But it was too late. Karen's hand slipped, and she plummeted the 11 stories down into the cold, black Pacific Ocean. But Scott's stories seem a little bit fishy, right? Uh, Yeah. Wait a minute. So he hit his... He says he hit his head on a metal box? Yeah, the gangway box. Uh Yes. Okay. But... He had also told somebody that those marks were caused by rough adult aerobics. You know, because people have a habit of like scratching their partner in the face. Scratches and blood? Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. I don't know what kind of role playing he was imagining, but yeah, that doesn't really work for most people. Yeah. I'm, I'm not buying that either. It was the last night of the seven day Mexican Riviera cruise. 
and the ship was 20 miles off the Mexican coast. Mm -hmm. In a few hours, the 607-foot-long Star Dancer would be docked in Los Angeles and ready for a quick turnaround for the next 1,600 guests. Okay. Once the call came into the San Diego Coast Guard, a massive search was underway by dawn. They searched by sea and by air. As the minutes ticked by, it was unlikely Karen would be found alive. Oh, boy. About 12.30 p.m., so in the afternoon, after an exhausting 10-hour search, rescuers spotted two white, small mounds bobbing in the ocean 30 miles off the coast of San Diego. As the skiff moved in closer, it was apparent that they had spotted the tips of athletic shoes and that the shoes were on a body. The body of the woman had been kept afloat by air that had been trapped in her clothing. Wow. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminded me of the Natalie Wood case where Natalie's big jacket had kind of kept like buoyed her still on the surface. Remember that? It kind of was resting on the top and her body had kind of floated down, but it was still attached to the jacket. That's what that kind of reminded me of. Yep. The woman found in the ocean matched the description of Karen Waltz, and she was deceased. Oh, boy. Once on the boat, rescuers noticed that there was a large bruise on Karen's forehead and red marks around her neck. Had she hit something on the way down or something much worse? Much worse. I'm going with much worse. It appeared that Karen had not just fallen over the railing by a gust of wind. Karen had been assaulted before going into that water. By February 15th, Karen's husband of only nine days, Scott Roston, was being held without bail at the federal prison on Terminal Island and being questioned by the FBI. Do you know where Terminal Island is? I don't. We see it every time we leave port. Oh, really? Yes. It's located at the entrance to the Los Angeles Harbor. Oh, okay. Yeah. It it actually, actually, if you're going to be sent to prison, this is the prison that you want to go to because it has a fabulous view. I, yeah. Assuming they give you a room with a window. I hope they don't. It would kind of, yeah, it would kind of (laughs) defeat the purpose of being miserable in prison. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the relationship of Scott and Karen. You ready for this? Yes. Scott and Karen had only met each other a year before Karen's death in Palm Beach, Florida. Scott was a chiropractor and Karen was a masseuse. Scott had taken a tumble down a flight of stairs and had hurt his back. He was being treated by Karen twice a week. The two became friendly, Scott always being flirty and asking Karen out every time he came in to get a massage. But Karen was in a serious relationship at the time. Scott eventually wore Karen down and she accepted his advances breaking up with her longtime boyfriend in the process. Ouch. Yeah. Scott and Karen seemed to be a great match. He was tall, dark, and very handsome and extremely athletic. Exercise and eating healthy was very important to the Bronx native. He actually was, for the 80s, was a very good-looking man. I really don't have a lot to tear him down. No, that's okay. Yeah. But Karen was beautiful and kind. She's described as extremely smart and fun with a laid back bohemian spirit. Karen could also be a bit impulsive. She loved to dance and stay active, was a hardcore vegetarian, 
Yeah. And running an upwards of 10 miles each and every day. That's like me. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, I should, I don't, but you know. No, but Karen was beautiful. Just yeah. a beautiful inside and out is how everyone described her. The couple jumped quickly into their relationship. Scott wined and dined Karen, taking her to fancy restaurants, ski trips, and soon taking Karen to meet his parents, to which he still lived with. Wait a minute. How's he? Okay, so. He's 38. He's 38. He's able to wine and dine her, but he can't move away and live on his own? Sorry. At this I, time. I have an issue with that. I know. <laughs> Scott's dad happened to be a chiropractor as well. Okay. Scott's family fell in love with Karen and embraced her into their family, even teaching Karen all about their Jewish faith and customs. Okay. Well, all right. Well, that makes a little more sense. I think that's culturally more typical right. with the Jewish community. Like the, right. You kind of live with your parents until you get married. It's also similar in the Asian community. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, okay. All right. Still, 38's pushing it. Unlike us, when they're 18, we're like, so, so when, when, when you leaving? Yeah. When you going? Or no, that used to be. Used not to be. So I don't think anymore, so I anymore. Yeah. I think it's. No, we, we hover over our children, don't we? Yeah. Like lawnmowers. <laughs> no, it's helicopters. Helicopter. Not lawnmowers. Helicopter. Lawn lawnmower parents are the ones who make their path for their children smooth and easy. Ah, okay. Yeah. Right, so they're a, mowing the lawn of their life. A hovering lawnmower would be more dangerous. Yeah. Chop your head off. Mm -hmm. But after only a few months of dating, Scott decided to move to California to open a chiropractic practice. Sure. Say that five times fast. No. <laughs> In Santa Monica, to be exact. Why not? Why not? Just go to Santa it's Monica. beautiful. Weather's always perfect. Yeah, it's always 73 degrees. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Occasionally sun comes out, you know, it's good. The couple deciding to keep dating and do the long distance thing. Karen was heartbroken, but knew that she wanted to make a life with Scott. He was her person. Karen visited Scott whenever she could, and after a couple visits, Scott proposed with a small pear-shaped engagement ring. A little on the small side for a 36-year-old practicing chiropractor, but Karen was in love, and she said yes. Okay, so at this time, he's 36. Okay. So he lived with his parents when he, up to the age of 36. So what was he doing cares, between right? 18 and 36? Actually, I'm going to tell you. Oh, good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it kind of seems right. like something's missing there. Mm-hmm. Karen's mom wasn't a huge fan of Scott's, and she was not impressed with the ring either. She told Karen she should get it appraised and make sure it was real. Karen was going to anyways for insurance purposes, but guess what? What? It was a fake. Of course it was. Okay. <laughs> however, that's kind of a weird thing. Like, so you're going you're gonna to weigh the relationship based on a ring size? Right. And- I kind of understand where the mom is coming from because she didn't like Scott anyways. And yeah. Scott always gave this like air of being gotcha. upper class, sophisticated. He, you know, he wined and dined Karen and took her to all these places. He was kind of doing this like rags to riches kind of thing with Karen. Right. So she's looking for cracks to see that it's fake. She knows it's fake. She knows it's she fake. Wants to, yeah, okay. But she needs proof. Gotcha. And so the ring was the proof to mommy. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. On February 4th, 1988, Scott and Karen drove to Las Vegas for a $25 quickie wedding ceremony. Okay. The couple officially became man and wife. They drove back to Santa Monica right after the ceremony. They didn't even stay in Vegas. Wow. Yeah. That's weird. I know. I thought that was kind of strange. You got at least stay and lose some money or yeah. spend some money, I mean. Yeah, or make up for the $25. Right. Try to win 25 bucks to make up for the wedding cost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go to some buffets, I don't know, steakhouse. <laughs> 3 days later, the new Mr. and Mrs. Rostin boarded the Star Dancer for a seven-day Mexican Riviera honeymoon cruise with stops in Cabo San Lucas, Mazatlan, and Puerto Vallarta. We have been there a million times. <laughs> Cruises. It's pretty. It's pretty typical cruise. Yeah, but right before getting married, Karen had called her sister and was having second thoughts. Oh boy! But decided to go through with it anyways. See, got to go with your gut. You have to go with your gut. If you're having any sort of second, third, fourth, fifth thoughts, you got to go. Yeah. You got to take some time. My problem is on the cruise ship, I don't go with my gut. My <laughs> gut says, Daniel, you're a fat ass. You already ate 14 <laughs> times today. And I go, nope, I'm going to ignore my gut and get another something. <laughs> another soft serve ice cream cone. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. You did really good on our last cruise. Yeah. So did I. I got to give us some props on that. Yeah. Karen's autopsy findings. This is not fun. The medical examiner found evidence of manual strangulation. There were signs of hemorrhage in her eyes and neck. Oh, God. And a warping of her neck bones. What? Which means somebody was squeezing so tight that they actually warped her neck bones. Wow. Ugh. Yeah. Karen also had bruising to her face, a goose egg on her forehead, contusions on various parts of her body, and a puncture wound to her abdomen under her left breast. Ouch. Ugh. Poor poor Karen. I hate these. I really, really hate these. The autopsy makes it so real. Yeah. I mean, they don't what just... What people can do to each other. Yeah, she didn't just end up dead. No. It's all the lead up to her ending up dead. Ugh, so sad. Salt water was found in her lungs, which means that she went into that water alive. jeez. Oh, but she was likely unconscious because if she had been treading water, her clothes would not have had air pockets, which kept her afloat after she died. Right. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, on her way down, her clothes collected a lot of air yes and then once you hit the water all the little air pockets yeah i mean the spaces in between the threading actually fills up with water and seals it so it's almost like a bag right and she was a little she was little it's actually a life-saving flotation technique yeah you can do that with a pair of jeans i've done it yeah i see take them and and boy scouts yeah it's it's a struggle but you can do it you flip them over you take them off you tie knots in the legs and then you take the waist and you kind of have to throw yourself out of the water and you fling the pants up and over your head and it scoops air. And then you pull the waist. So basically the, the legs are flinging up vertically, right? Right. From the force. No, I get it. And then I you pull it down and you hold the waist down into the water and it captures all that air. And then it gives you time to rest 
and stay afloat. And eventually the water or the air will leak out of the pants, but you can keep doing that and you could stay afloat forever. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. So without those air pockets, she would have sunk and more than likely never found floating in that water. Yeah. So they never would have found her body. Karen's athletic clothing, shoes, and her jewelry were given to the FBI, and her body was sent back to her family in Florida for burial. That's so sad. So these make me so sad. Even though they dis- she discovered that he gave her a fake ring, mm-hmm. that still didn't deter her from going forward with a wedding. No, and what marriage? Scott says is that. She loved him so much that she would rather have him than a real diamond. No, that's fine. I mean, I guess maybe he was embarrassed, you know, like, I'm sorry. I just, I couldn't afford it. I wanted to. But if he's taking her to all these fancy places, why couldn't he afford to get her a nice, you know, a little tiny ring, like a chip? Who cares? I mean, I don't care if your ring is real or fake. Who cares? But if you're trying to pass it off as real to the person that you're giving it to, that's just a lie. Yeah, I think you're starting your relationship out on a lie. If you're creating an identity where you present yourself as this doing really well person and you can afford to do all these things and then you try and pass off a fake ring, it kind of takes all the air out of your sales. Exactly. And nowadays... The diamond rings that aren't real, they're grown in a Petri dish. Yeah, they're still diamonds. They're still diamonds. They're just And they don't have blood on them. They're not blood diamonds. Well, they're not organic. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you look at the diamond trade, it's horrible. Uh, Yeah. There's one family in the world owns all the rights to diamond mines and can do whatever they they want. And they hike up the prices. They're also a beverage company, right? Coke? No, De Beers. Never mind. That oh. was a stretch. I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> oh. Never mind. Don't listen to me. Anyway, right. um, well, we could go on and on about I it. Know. But I take, I have a problem with the whole like, oh, you must have this expensive ring and a diamond and all this BS. Yeah, they say three months it's not, of your salary stupid. is what your ring should be. That is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. I'm sorry. We've already been over this many, many, many episodes ago, but one of the main causes for divorce is finances. Right. And it's also attempting to be something that you're not, meaning you're trying to buy stuff that you can't actually afford and it drives a wedge and then ultimately leads to divorce. Why would you start off your marriage with a- With a debt. With a $20,000 ring, a $10,000 ring- it's like that ten thousand or twenty thousand you could save and put it towards something else, or hell, even just buy a car instead of having a car loan. You know, actually pay cash for things. Wouldn't your marriage be so much more stable? Okay, I'm done. I'll climb off my soapbox, <laughs> which was another interesting phrase origin that I didn't bring up about okay. being on your soapbox. Well, maybe maybe on one of your other facts. Sure, All go right. ahead. After Scott was arrested and imprisoned, the FBI interviewed him again telling Scott that his story was not adding up. The seas were calm. The wind was no more than five miles per hour. And that they had checked the metal box he had said he hit his face on, but there was no blood found on it, nor were there any sharp edges that would cause a small, triangular-shaped contusion on his cheek. But a small, pear-shaped engagement ring might. (gasps) 
Oh. Dun, dun, dun. Nice. I did not see that coming. Mm-hmm. Of course, neither did she. So Scott um, changed his story after that. All right. You ready for this ridiculous story? I can only imagine. Okay. Scott told the FBI that he was lying to protect his family. Karen had been murdered by Israeli spies <laughs> in retaliation over a book he had written and self-published in 1987, a biography called Nightmare in Israel. <laughs> um, Bullcrap. It all started in 1978 after Scott had immigrated to Israel with his parents to open a chiropractic clinic after he had graduated from Georgia Chiropractic College. After about a year, in late 1979, Scott was jailed and moved to a mental institution where he claimed he was drugged and brutalized by corrupt Israeli officials. All of this because he was targeted by the Israeli mafia for refusing to marry a neighbor's niece, turning down bribes and not playing into threats. Scott faked a mental illness by sucking his thumb and pretending to be an eight-year-old. He was released from that mental institution. Scott and his parents immediately leaving Israel for the safety of American soil. What? (laughs) Yeah. I don't even know where to begin with all that. Uh, Where? Yeah. Where do you begin? I do like the sucking the thumb. That was nice. Yeah. I like that. Because most eight-year-olds still suck their thumbs. No. What the hell does that have to do? It doesn't. Where did he come up with all this? He pulled it out of his butthole. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Wow. All right. Soon after his book was published, criticizing the Israeli government, Scott was almost kidnapped outside of a Palm Beach shopping center. Two Israelis in a white van grabbed Scott and yelled, Israel wants you, in Hebrew. I'm not even going to pretend to try to do Hebrew. Scott was able to break free and shot one of the men as they were driving away. So he was driving away in his car and turned around and shot one of the men. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. So all of this that you just read was his story. His story. Gotcha. With no witnesses. None of this is actually documented. Okay, the fake kidnapping Uh is documented. Because he went home to mommy and daddy, and mommy called the police and reported it. But there were no other eyewitnesses. So there is documentation of Something. the mom saying that this is what happened to oh, her Oh, okay. So, but right. there was no actual There were no witnesses, other witnesses. There was no nothing. Besides He Scott. just came home and said, hey, this happened. Right. Okay. Right. I have, yeah, I have lots of ideas about that. Scott then told the FBI that when he and Karen were speed walking on the upper track, two men had come out of nowhere and drugged him, okay, had drugged him, sure, and strangled Karen and threw her overboard. After he had come to, Scott ran to get help. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so he's okay. saying that they killed her as a message so to they, him. So they followed them. Found out they were going on their honeymoon cruise, mm-hmm. booked a cruise fare, got on the cruise ship and just waited for that perfect moment to the last not night. throw him overboard, but throw her overboard, strangling her and doing all this without any witnesses. Right. Nothing. I and think they would have killed him. Right? Yeah. I would. Yeah. 
But I mean, if I were them, according to his story, if he's so horrible, wouldn't they just go after him and leave her? And if he's such a threat to the Israeli mafia, they would have killed him, not her. I've watched The Sopranos, right? So I'm basically like a mafia expert. expert. And so they don't target like the family, not usually. It's usually the person. And they usually send it as a message. So they leave the guy dead or beat to almost to death in front of the other people and then that's it it's not a to the sopranos right exactly right it's accurate just like i know everything about being in a woman's prison by orange is the new black oh it's yeah Yeah. that's almost 100 percent exactly true (laughs) okay so this left me me wondering if the fbi left that interrogation room and they just laughed i would have just laughed and like this guy is nuts But after checking the cruise ship's manifest, there were two men from Israel on that cruise. Oh, okay. Well, Mm -hmm. see, never mind. I shouldn't have kept my mouth shut. Maybe it is true. You know who believed him, though? The only person that believed him? Who? His parents. Of course. They also back up up his Israeli torture story. But I think Scott's parents are those parents a hundred percent yeah they're those parents that you're like oh man your kids got you so snowed they want to believe (laughs) they want to believe because then it explains why he's not getting very far in life right and why they're still having to take care of their little baby he's been we need to protect him and so that that's why he's living at home at 36 yes (laughs) scott went to work contacting every newspaper and reporter he could think of, telling them his version of the story, trying to spin the narrative. He didn't kill his wife. Israeli spies did. Sure. It didn't work for his book sales, though. He only sold, like, he sold less than 100 copies (laughs) of this book. Scott was officially charged with second-degree murder in the death of Karen. Second-degree. Probably because they couldn't 100% prove first degree. Yes, because there was no witnesses Hmm. and not much evidence. Yeah. All right. In March of 1989, the quote unquote love boat trial began. What? They referred to this as the love boat murder. That's that's a horrible. Do not taint the sanctity of the television show, The Love Boat. You said taint. (laughs) <laughs> um okay all right the love boat the defense called zero witnesses sure but they did stick with scott's third story israeli spies killed karen third time's a charm i'm gonna take you through what the prosecution believes happened through witness testimonies okie dokie all right Scott always had this air of high class about him. He acted like he had a lot of money and used that to sweep Karen off her feet, trying to make her feel like this was a rags to riches type of scenario for her. Because she grew up very poor. She grew up with a single mom, an older sister. Their dad had left. So it was very money was tight when she was growing up. And so then this guy comes along who acts like he has all this money and just wants to take care of her. I think that was very attractive to her. Sure. I can see why her mom was skeptical. Yes. Because and any- her mom was right on the money, man. Yeah. Anyone who's gone through tough times, they learn to avoid being taken advantage of. Because Absolutely. 
you could really get into a horrible situation. Right. I mean, if you were truly super wealthy, you could get taken advantage of and still be okay for the most part, right? Mm -hmm. Because, But if you're really poor, you can't afford to be taken advantage of. True. So you pretty much are a skeptic all the time and a cynic. Scott moved to California to open a chiropractic practice, right? Sure. Like that's the whole reason for moving to California. He never did that. What? He wasn't even licensed in California or even attempted to take the boards of, for certification. Okay. Okay. Scott was living off money, one in a settlement that he got from slipping on a banana peel Stop. at a shopping mall <laughs> and hurting himself. I swear. What an idiot. <laughs> Who slips on a banana peel? That's a cartoon. <laughs> Scott? Are you serious? Scott does. Scott slipped on a banana peel. What a dumbass. Yeah, so he was living off of that settlement. He slipped on a banana peel at a shopping mall <laughs> and fell and hurt hurt his bottom. Scott didn't even pay for the honeymoon cruise. Uh, he had won it in a contest. Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah. How did he win? Okay, whatever. On this cruise ship, you sit with the same group of people every night for dinner. Sure. Okay, so we've been on cruise ships like that before, and it's very It's a choice, actually. You can you can. It's choose. a choice now. It used to not be a choice. Oh, really? Yes. You used to have to sit with people. Oh, thank God for COVID. <laughs> Sorry, that's not <laughs> that's, that's not true. That's wrong. I didn't mean it that yeah. way. I just meant that people are uncomfortable with people. I don't want to talk to anybody else. Heck no. It's embarrassing. What do you do it for a living? It is funny, though, to sit with people because you never know what you're going to get. I like watching people. I don't want to sit with them. Yeah. <laughs> I sound so, I sound like such oh a brat. Gosh. That's Look not true. Look how much true. food he that's has on his plate. Oh, my gosh. Okay. No, that's what they say about me. Go ahead. This is one, taking too long. One witness on the stand that sat with the Rostens in the Diamond Deck restaurant said that Karen was wonderful, but that Scott would get irritated with her if she used the wrong fork or even if she ordered dessert. Scott didn't like her eating sweets. What? what a bastard. Okay. That bastard. All right, here's the deal, right? What? If you go on a cruise, it is an eating challenge <laughs> not to not eat, you said but that to before. see how much you can eat. <laughs> so anyone is like, okay, we're going to go on a cruise, but you can't have any sweets. Um, they should be pushed overboard. Oh, not the not her, him because he's him. A, he is a bastard. He is a bastard. All right, go all ahead. right. Here we go. I'm gonna go have cake after this, just <laughs> in her memory to piss him off. I agree. Let's do that. All right. Scott would berate Karen at the table, and she would just drop her eyes and clam up. Ugh. I can picture that. Oh, it just oh makes me my so gosh. Sad. One witness testified to seeing the couple about an hour before Karen's death. It looked as though the couple were in an argument and Karen was banging her fists on Scott's chest. Oh, jeez. Somehow Scott got Karen up on that track with no one around. There was a struggle, which would explain the scratches and puncture wound on Scott's face. He then choked her into unconsciousness, then walked 11 and a half steps to the railing and threw Karen, still alive, into the ocean below. Okay, so I could imagine like once she realizes that he has that psycho look in his eyes, mm -hmm. it's like picking up a cat and trying to put it into a shower. Oh, yeah, she like, fought. Like you start she fought clawing for, her life. for your life. Yes, right? absolutely. So she's doing whatever she can. She's scratching him. She's 
freaking out yeah. because yeah. I would. And it's 1230 at night. So nobody's up there with them. I'm sure I think he got her up there saying, hey, let's go exercise. You need to exercise because you had cake at dinner, like made her feel bad. <laughs> oh, if you ever said that to me, I would go and get more cake and eat it in front of you. Uh, I would think it would be worse than that. <laughs> but OK, yeah, I mean. And then but, I would leave you. I don't know. That's just... So the Star Dancer was a refurbished cruise ferry, so the floors were not tiered. It was just straight down. Now, I, in my head, pictured these old cruise ships, right, that were just not tiered and straight down. But the cruise ship that we were just on was the exact same way. It was not tiered at all. We could have jumped straight out of our balcony into the water. Yeah, the new, new, super new ones are, they're designed differently. They look different. They and they're have a different tiered. shape. And they're built different because now the Panama Canal was widened. So they had to build all these cruise ships to fit within those parameters. Within the Panama Canal right. parameters. And now they don't have to. Now they can make these so, mega. Yeah, so that's why ships. all these, the newest, I newer about ones, that. they've built them much wider. So they completely redesigned them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a lot more stable yeah. because they're wider yeah. and all that stuff. So, But the cruise ship that we were just on, I had written out this case before we left, and I was looking, and up on Deck 11 is the track. But if you looked over the side of Deck 11, you would fall down to the next deck. Yeah, so it the, very, wasn't completely yeah, the very top deck is not actually a deck. It's more of just kind of a – it's more in the middle of Deck 10 raised up. Yes. A little bit. All right. Part of an earring and a clump of blonde hair were found embedded in the rubberized track floor. The same earring seen in the pictures of Scott and Karen taken at dinner that night. Wow. Yeah. So she fought. The puncture wound on Scott's cheek matched Karen's engagement ring, and the scratches on his face proved that Karen fought for her life. Yeah. One of the Israeli passengers was flown back to the U.S. and called to the stand as a surprise witness by the prosecution. He denied any connections to the Israeli government and said that he was a professional photographer. He had come to the States to photograph a wedding and turned it into a vacation. He and his friend, who was the other Israeli passenger, also went to Disneyland and Universal Studios. Which is what you should do in California That's is you, go on a cruise, go to Disneyland, to. go to Universal Studios, and never come back. Maybe Knott's Berry Farm. No. And then don't return to California. No. Because California is disgusting. Unless you're in any other part of the U.S. <laughs> where the weather is horrible. In which case, you should come back. Uh, oh, California. We love you. So, oh my God. According to the prosecution, Scott really didn't have a motive. He just snapped. The couple had had a series of arguments, and Scott was annoyed at Karen's lack of social social sophistication and her love of sweets. Oh, my gosh. The prosecution even showed a photo of the couple's stateroom, and there was a piece of pie sitting on one of the bedside tables. Okay. Which kind of sounds like our room. I'm dead serious. I am starving, and I'm craving pie <laughs> right now. I can't even stop thinking about it. After a three-week trial, Scott Roston was found guilty Good. of second-degree murder. Piece of crap. In October of 1989, Scott was sentenced to life in prison. The judge was pissed. I bet. Stating that, quote-unquote, 
This is one of the cruelest crimes this court has ever seen. It is this court's hope that the defendant never be released. Amen, brother. Yeah. That's awesome. But. But. There's always a but. There's a but. Five years later, in November of 1994, Scott appealed his sentence and won. What? The Court of Appeals stated that by imposing a life sentence, the judge had applied the penalty required under the federal sentencing guidelines for first-degree murder, even though the defendant was convicted of second-degree murder. Okay. So because he was... I guess I can see that. Yeah. He was only convicted of second-degree murder, but he got a sentence for first-degree murder. Okay? Okay. Scott Rostin was resentenced to 33 years and nine months in prison. I did read that Scott was due to be released from federal prison in July of 2017. I assume that he's out, but I couldn't find any more information on him after his last appeal in 1994. I'm sure his parents changed his name. Well, (laughs) okay, so his parents would probably be deceased at this point, right? Don't you think? Oh, maybe. So, okay, he was 36 in he was 38 when he was convicted 38 in 1988 right yeah did i get that right 1989 89 okay Mm -hmm. when he was sentenced yeah so he's (laughs) 70 ish yes so yeah so his parents are probably deceased 90 they could be they're I don't know. I couldn't find... Jewish, they might live to be 110. Yeah, I couldn't find any information. So... Okay. Sorry, guys. Ready for what I think happened? Absolutely. Allegedly. Allegedly, your opinion that is probably 100% accurate. I think Scott was a professional con man. Yes. Amen. He was living off the settlement for falling on the banana peel, had purposely fallen down a flight of stairs, and was being treated by Karen... Bought her a cheap and fake engagement ring. Never even tried to get his chiropractic license in California. Wrote a book that would be almost impossible to prove that it did or didn't happen. Faked a possible kidnapping attempt. And then came up with a ridiculous reason for how his new bride wound up in the Pacific Ocean. I think this was all to sell a book and become rich and famous. And he was just so delusional and narcissistic that he thought it might work. Yes, because he had only sold one copy before Karen's murder. <laughs> one copy of his book. And you know who probably bought that book? His parents. His parents. Of course. You know what? I bet they didn't even. Well, maybe they did read it. And they're like, oh, my gosh. And so I It's think, in a book. It must be accurate. I think he was trying to oh. get attention from his new wife's murder to gain more traction for his book. And after Karen was murdered and the trial was going on and all that kind of stuff, guess how many books he sold? How many? 78. See, and then there's that. Then there's that. Uh, Only 78. So. God, I want to punch him in the face. I'm sure that's happened to him already. (sighs) So he just, she, okay. but, But he knew that presenting this kind of exciting life, like, hey, I've done this, but there's a side to me. I've been targeted and this and that. So it's probably exciting to her. She's like, ooh, 
he's like doing really well, but he's exciting and he's fun and he's whining and dining me. And then his parents want to believe that he's this successful, exciting, but... He was just a con man. Right, but they're kind of, they're like, oh, he's being targeted and this and that. No, and in order to sell a book and to sell this story and turn it in, try to turn it into a movie, he had to have something that was so dramatic happen on U.S. soil that he pushed his wife overboard. Are you telling me people make up stuff and write books about it, hoping to sell them? A hundred percent. No. (laughs) Okay, you ready for my fun fact? I am... There was another murder on this boat. Not at the same time, right? Not at the same oh, time. Oh, I was going to say that was a horrible cruise. In 2002, the Star Dancer was renamed The Island Escape. It was still being used? She began doing seven-day Mediterranean cruises. Damn. Does The Island Escape sound familiar to you or to anybody listening out there in podcast world? No. Okay. This is the same ship that Mickey Kanasaki was strangled and thrown overboard by her husband, Lonnie. We did this in episode 22. Oh, my God. Are you serious? I swear. I (laughs) kept reading about this boat, and then I was reading the history of the boat and said it changed to the island escape. And I was like, holy crap. That's the boat that Mickey was murdered on. Yes. This happened. Episode 22. Mickey Kanasaki. Was brutally strangled in 2002 by her ex-husband. Go listen to that one. Wow. That one is a crazy case as well. Well done finding that accidentally. Yeah. So it just sounded familiar and I just kept digging and digging and that's what I found out. With that being said. Yes. Safest form of travel vacationing overall. Is cruising. Cruise ship. Yes. 100%. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. By far. And now there's cameras everywhere, so you can't really get rid of it. You yeah. can't really get away with anything. Not really. Daniel, what did you think of my case? I, oh, God. See, it, it's still, it's the same thing. It's people that want to believe, and then these pieces of crap that pull off this fake life and scam people and get, basically, get away with it for a little bit. Except he's super stupid. He was really stupid. Because he could have done anything else and would have been okay. He could have still pulled off some sort of a con scam and gotten away with it. Well, good looking people can usually get away with right. conning so other people. It's like, why would you why would you think you could get away with strangling her and throwing her overboard? I don't know. Like, what thought process do you go through thinking that that's a good idea? Even with um, Mickey Kanasaki and her husband, ex-husband Lonnie. Yeah. Like, what in the world made him think that he could even get away with doing that to her? Yeah, that's it's the same thing. Crazy. All of my information came from news articles that I was able to find. And this was a really small case. And I had a really hard time inf- finding information. But like we always say... Even the small cases deserve to be talked about and told because well, it's he, Karen was a wonderful, wonderful person and did not deserve to die like this. She thought she was in love. She thought this man was in love with her and he brutally murdered her. It's really no less crazy than any other murder, mm-hmm. which is kind of weird. Like, why do certain tragic events get more publicity than others? Right. So it's not the actual conditions of it. It's the people or timing or something like that. I think it's timing. Yeah. 
Because to me, this is a crazy, should be a very public case. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different aspects to this. And especially throwing in the Israeli mafia. Yeah. Like, that's the plot of a movie. It is. But for us to really not know much about this case is kind of shocking. Yeah. I mean, you reading it, it seems like I'm picturing a movie. Yeah. As you're reading it, it's like a movie unfolding in my head. Oh, that's such a compliment. Yeah. Because I'm very that's how like, I try to write mentally, it. <laughs> I visualize obviously things because I'm a guy, and so I'm I'm visualizing it almost yeah. like I'm watching a movie. Exactly. So good job. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you, darling. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. welcome. I hope you guys enjoyed this case. We always appreciate any sort of five star rating. If you want to leave us a one star rating, <laughs> just don't listen to us anymore. That would be better. I appreciate it. <laughs> I don't care. (laughs) And then be prepared to be made fun of. Don't do whatever you want. I don't care. Yeah. No one cares. (sighs) If you could shout us out on any sort of social media, that would be awesome too. And tell your friends and family and your neighbors, even if you don't like them. If you hate this show, actually, why don't you tell the people that you hate about our show? Yeah. Say, hey, I just listened to them and they're just horrific. But I think so much of you... (laughs) You might enjoy them. <laughs> yeah. That would be great, too. Their banter is spot on. In fact, I'd appreciate a review that said five stars. I hate you. Your show is just terrible. However, I told my <laughs> sister-in-law about you, and she loves you. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. That would absolutely make my day. Oh, my gosh. You're right? crazy. So there you go. You're crazy. Be careful. For marriage is a life sentence. And divorce is always the better option. When it comes to marriage, try not to go overboard. (laughs) Bye.